0: Before we start this episode, please be warned that there is audio of a bicycle crash at the top of the episode and some further highway sounds and crash noises throughout the episode. Thank you and enjoy.
1: It's July 3rd, 1958, and it's a busy morning out on J Street in Rochester, New York. After all, the 4th of July is tomorrow. The west side of Dutchtown, now known as the Susan B. Anthony neighborhood, is all hustle bustle. There's foot traffic and cars galore, and it only takes one person to create an accident. Meet Richard Gardner, 13, of 58 Campbell Park. Last week, he graduated from the Holy Family School, and was given a bicycle as a celebratory gift. This week, he's cruising around on the street, until...
2: On today's daily news, a child hit by a city-owned dump truck. Richard Gardner was caught between the rig and the curb as the vehicle made a right-hand turn from J Street onto Glide Street this morning shortly before 10 a.m., Driver Angelo Pascarella, 49, told authorities that he was, quote, stopped for a traffic light and did not see the boy until it was too late.
1: Richard was taken to St. Mary's Hospital, where it was determined that he suffered merely an ankle fracture and was in good condition. However, his tale is that of a lucky one. Not all bicyclists are so lucky, and not all accidents are made the same. As you'll come to discover... Many accidents are rooted in the failings of our history. Hi, I'm Henry Litsky, and welcome to Here You Are, Season 5 Psychopaths, a bicycling history of Rochester. This is Episode 4 The Tyranny of Wheels. We are no strangers to accidents. They happen all of the time. Transportation-related accidents have been a staple of Rochester's history as the city has changed over time. However, what can we learn from the past to help mitigate or at least better understand accidents now? According to local historian Blake McClevey,
3: While no complete record of the accidents in 19th century Rochester is available, references assembled in the newspaper index make it abundantly clear that even the horse and buggy days were not as quiet and peaceful in Rochester as you may have thought.
1: Rochester's early history is plagued with accidents, as all rapidly growing, metropolitan-attempting cities are. A significant contributor to early Rochester's fatality rate was bicyclists interacting with cars on public roads. The bicycle and the automobile have been directly opposed to each other when it comes to interacting on the streets for decades. And in the 1950s, this issue became not only prevalent, but imperative to address.
3: Times change. And you either change your city to fit them, or they'll change your city. Often unpleasantly. More often unprofitably. Rochester has made its peace with the automobile. Is it practical to do otherwise? Does it make any civic sense whatsoever to cuss the tyranny of wheels and the insolent chariots instead of getting together to plan a workable solution for traffic congestion? In
1: 1893, around 5,000 cyclists roamed Rochester, and by 1897, that number grew to be a staggering 40,000. Attitudes surrounding the increase of bicycles were not unanimous, many pedestrians and carriage riders complained about speeding cyclists and felt unsafe sharing the roads. Throughout the summer and fall seasons of the mid-1890s, Rochester police reported an average of 100 bike accidents a day, the majority of these occurring on roadways. This number would continue to increase. While residents of Monroe County had completed an extensive network of side paths in 1900, take a listen to episode 2 of this season for more information about the sidepath movement, these sidepaths would not be maintained for much longer. Public interest and support for cycling dwindled, leaving the Sidepath Commission with little resources for expansion or repairs. Alongside that, transportation infrastructure was literally reshaping the city. This includes the electric trolley transit lines throughout Rochester's dense commercial district and an underground subway system to relieve the streets of some of their traffic. Horses, pedestrians, cyclists and trolleys crowded the city but worked relatively okay together as they all blended using slow speeds. All of this would change with the automobile. As Rochester's population grew to its peak of over 330,000 residents by 1950, something in its transportation would have to give, and it did. Peter Norton's book, Fighting Traffic, outlines the transition of the street from a community space to motor domination. Initially, cars did not integrate seamlessly into the modern city. The chaotic churn of pedestrians, carriages, horses, streetcars, and yes, bicycles, resulted in many accidents and, sadly, fatalities. The size, weight, and speed of these new forms of transportation made city streets more dangerous. Initially, general sentiment was against the auto as it completely disrupted the established order, was less efficient, and really a rich man's toy. Motordom, the automotive industry, pushed back through education initiatives which told pedestrians to stay out of the streets and be mindful of cars. They created traffic control systems, such as stop signs and traffic lights, invented the concept of jaywalking, and appealed to a deeply American sentiment, personal freedom. Cars soon reigned supreme. If one was to be stuck in traffic going downtown, why not do it in the comfort of your own car, instead of getting packed into the subway or the trolley? The Great Depression was really the nail in the coffin for the trolleys, and by March 31st, 1941, streetcars had ceased operations in Rochester. The auto had won.
3: Rochester was one of the first boom towns in America. But the e started, the railroads continued. Faster freight and passenger service. Bonanza business right in the heart of Rochester. What the railroads continued, the automobile climaxed. Today, a portion of the old E.R.I.E. forms a sentimental segment in the complex of arterial highways and expressways that link the heart of the city to the New York State segment of the transcontinental throughway. Tough yet gentle surgery for the old E.R.I.E. The important thing, of course, is that the heart of the city has a booming beat, stronger than ever before.
1: The post-World War II prosperity now allowed the city to embrace the auto wholeheartedly. Rochester's subway, the final survivor of its trolley past, ceased operation in 1956 to make way for the Eastern Expressway, Rochester's first major urban freeway. The New York State Thruway, one of the first public-private freeways of its kind, finished construction in 1954. The highway bisected Rochester to the south, angering Rochester lawmakers. To remain competitive, the city thought it needed to build a connector highway. Soon, I-490 rose to attach downtown Rochester with the thruway system. The highway ended Rochester's brief 94-year stint of electrified railways, almost entirely using its right-of-way to the east of downtown.
3: 20th century America is geared to the automobile, and thus is Rochester geared. Traffic flows here, flows faster all the time, because of community planning for the years ahead.
1: One expressway through the city was not enough to satisfy the hunger of the automobile. Soon, Rochester carved a moat around downtown to create the inner loop, a new, sunken expressway. Rochester, like most American cities, had embraced the car, which certainly hurt bicyclists and the sentiment towards non-car transportation options. Roger Levy, a longtime Rochester cyclist, remembers the culture shift like it was yesterday. Roads like Monroe Avenue were very congested, so... The old
4: Erie Canal bed was converted to an expressway and then the inner loop um, added an expressway around downtown so people could avoid driving on the surface roads downtown. And a lot of parking lots were constructed. Gradually, the roads got more and more filled up with cars. People less and less likely to take the bus or ride their bicycles. It was. Uh, disgusting. You know, my friend and I called it car fever. People would not only drive even the shortest distances, but they spent so much time in their cars that they started to feel as though they were
1: entitled or invulnerable, you know, surrounded by a metal box. Alongside a growing rise in public interest in their metal boxes, and in conjunction, added disdain for bikes, bicycles started to become scapegoats for accidents, as well as being demoted socially, seen merely as a children's toy. I think people regarded bicycles as toys,
4: and uh, people who were my age, after age 21, they sort of gave up and did nothing but drive their cars.
1: This is evident in the news at the time. In the same newspaper that details the accident of Richard Gardner, right above it, an article titled, Strict Bicycle Law, Pondered by Council. In the 1950s, the GOP caucus in Rochester's City Council chose to place blame on the bicyclists and attempted to restrict young children from riding in the streets. This City Bicycle Ordinance, which went into effect in 1953, was aimed at impounding bicycles of children violating biking protocol and only returning their bicycles to parents. Violators could also potentially be forced to attend safety school, as would jaywalkers. The initial news release about the enhanced enforcement of the ordinance mentioned, quote, there would still 9,000 school children who had not purchased their licenses. No adult bicyclists were mentioned, and that isn't all.
2: Cycling. City Council to renew drive for bicycle ordinance. A bike law changes. an ordered
4: for city's bicycle ordinance. Bicycle
2: ordinance Ordnance enforcement Supervisors up.
4: Supervisors to receive Crack bike Crackdown ordered compromise.
2: on bicycles. Rise Why in accidents wait for an accident. shocking. Bike safety Strict begins Strict bicycle home. law pondered by Council.
1: In a Democrat and Chronicle article from June 30th, 1958, multiple parents wrote a cumulative letter to the editor titled, Keep Bicycles Out of Our Streets. The parents blame authorities for not keeping their children safe, but never blame the automobile. Instead, they advocate for more active enforcement of keeping young bicyclists on sidewalks.
2: That was the second time my life has been endangered by you a bicycle. They don't have on the highway. a chance, well, especially when children operate a boys bicycle in streets How long are unaware of the proper regulations, regulations pertaining to safety. How much, How much safer our children would be riding, riding on, on the
1: sidewalk. The only mention of cars is from Miss Wayne Ocklot of 315 Delwood Road and what feels like an afterthought of an addendum to her concerns.
2: And let's enforce our speeding laws so these youngsters have half a chance if they do ride in the road.
1: Nowhere is this public train of thought more on display than in a newspaper article from July 1956, where a 79-year-old bicyclist was ticketed for not having a headlight, one of the required safety precautions enforced by the ordinance. The Democrat and Chronicle states...
0: In this country, where a bicycle is more of a kid's toy than an adult's mode of transportation, snaring a grown up in the bike violators' roundup caught the police. uh. unprepared.
1: It seemed that everyone else, the lawmakers, the parents, the policemen, was to blame but the automobile. Clearly, the cyclists were the reason for their own deaths not the bulldozing to accommodate the automobile and the lack of consideration to other modes of transport and driver safety regulations. The individual is at fault, not the system. In 1958 alone, over 35,331 people were killed at the behest of the automobile nationwide. Since the 1960s, pedestrian and cyclist fatalities have been on the rise. While driver deaths have decreased due to public safety measures that regulate the automobile, such as the seatbelt, the airbag, and new roads designed to give drivers room for error, on a global scale, automobiles are on track to kill 1.35 million people in 2022. That's more people than live in the entire state of Maine. Due to convenience and danger, Bicycles are not on their way to become the main form of transportation for Rochesterians. However, bicycle accidents in our past and how they were handled show that the fault does not lie with the bikes themselves. Instead, Rochester's rapid modernization and focus on the automobile left no room for bikes. That is starting to change, and that's a good thing. With the continual growth of infrastructure, like the Genesee Riverway Trail, it is becoming easier to get around without reliance on a car. And the people of Rochester can adapt and benefit from these new opportunities for more efficient, greener, and healthier transportation. This is further discussed in episode six of the series. I think today we have more and more Young people who will take transit instead of driving or who will take a bicycle as their first choice. So very encouraging. It's worth investing and advocating for further safety precautions on our roads and updates for smoother, less dangerous bike paths citywide. We're not quite to the point that we can guarantee complete safety for kids like Richard Garner or any bicyclist. We're well on our way.
0: You Are is a podcast created by students at the University of Rochester. This episode was created by Alyssa Koh and Henry Litsky. Our sound design engineer was Alyssa Koh, and our episode producer was Henry Litsky. We'd like to thank Roger Levy again for his interview. In addition, we'd also like to thank Rahi Clark Chaudhry and Megan Clark for contributing their voice acting talents to make our script come alive. The executive producers are Thomas Fleischman and Stephen Reznor. And... Be sure to check out the other episodes of Here You Are, Season 5, Cycle Paths, at hereyouare.com.
1: SCP-X7X-6-Floor by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com was licensed under the Creative Commons by 4.0 Attribution License. SCP-X6X-Hopes by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com was also licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. Music was also provided by Blue Dot Sessions.